Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It is finally February 2021. We've arrived uh, closer to spring, closer to the end, I hope at least, of COVID. Uh, A lot of interesting stuff going on. The article over the weekend that really caught my attention was by a, a former guest on Keen On, uh, Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, one of the great critics of uh, digital culture and digital business. Zuboff, Zuboff argued in the New York Times that we have a choice these days. We can either have democracy or we can have a surveillance society dominated by the digital platforms, but we cannot have both. Um, as I said, Zuboff was on the show uh, actually in, in 2019. She's a wonderful interview and a very distinguished and articulate critic of digital capitalism and digital marketing. Not everyone, though, I think agrees with Zuboff. Uh, my guest today on the show is Raja Rajamanar, the author of a new book on marketing called Quantum Marketing. Uh, Raja, I don't want to embroil you in in the Zuboff debate, but I assume you would argue that we can indeed have uh, digital culture, digital technology, digital marketing, and democracy. Is that fair? Absolutely. You know, without any question, I, I think you know any enablement or capability comes with a responsibility. So if as a marketer, you first realize that you are a human being and you want to be treated in a particular way, now put on your marketing hat and say, this is exactly how I want to treat my consumers and my prospects. So long as you have got that kind of a responsibility and an ethical framework, I think you can actually use these digital technologies to enhance the quality of service to the consumers to give very relevant and compelling messages to them that are of use to them. It's a win-win for both. So it's like, you know, uh, like any uh, device or an instrument, it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. So if the knife can be used to kill as well as to cut vegetables, it's a knife can kill people, therefore I don't want to use it, is probably being a little too uh, polarized. And I would say that digital marketing can be humongously helpful. Uh, And it's not just about marketers selling uh, their wares uh, to the consumers, but it's also about stimulating the economy. So if you look at the entire marketing economy, it's humongous. It runs into trillions of dollars. It provides employment. It generates lots and lots of economic activity. So it's something which we should really be respectful of on the one hand and be highly responsible from protecting consumers' privacy on the other hand. Roger, your the subtitle of your book Uh, your new book is Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. Uh, Tell me about tomorrow's consumers. Who are they? So when you look at tomorrow's consumers, what I meant in that was that today, 
we are in what I call the fourth paradigm of marketing. So if you look at consumers in the fourth paradigm versus say in the second paradigm, the consumers of second paradigm did not have mobile phones. They did not have internet. They did not have the kind of uh, social media platforms that are available to them. Now, when each one of these technologies started coming into their lively, into their lives, the lifestyles of these people have changed dramatically. So yesterday's consumers were not the same as today's consumers. They're more empowered of- then, Raja. Um- I can't resist these photos uh, from, we're all familiar with photos of these strange characters who invaded Congress at the beginning of January. Um, Are these the new consumers? I I know they're not necessarily typical, but should we be fearful of these kinds of uh, empowered consumers? No, I'm actually talking about digitally empowered consumers. Right, you can the digitally empowered consumers are able to do things which they could not do before, like getting the information, getting something in real time, getting the truth, getting to the truth. Like, for example, today there is a lot of misinformation and there are fake news, etc. But when you come to fifth paradigm, I guess a lot of it will start getting resolved where the algorithms will be sophisticated enough, the platforms will be responsible enough that it is possible to get to the truth. So it's not like it has so to be We're getting to the truth. So technology uh, will get us to the truth. The other big story, of course, of the weekend was the GameStop story uh, of investors taking on Wall Street. Is the GameStop uh, example a model of what you call the fifth paradigm of an empowered consumer getting to the truth? It could very well be. Yes, absolutely. Right. So. What you have seen in this GameStop scenario is an unprecedented level of consumerism. Now, I will not take a judgmental stance and say it's good or bad, but what I'm saying is when consumers get together, whatever be the platform they are on, they can actually bring about dynamic and radical changes whichever way they are. Now, tomorrow's consumer, uh, and if I just can complete that thought is, tomorrow's consumer is going to be empowered by two dozen plus technologies that do not really exist in the realm today in any significant way. Whether you talk of Internet of Things, autonomous driving vehicles, you've got drone deliveries, 3D printing, 5G telecommunication, you've got wearables, you've got, uh, uh, no, every device is literally connected and so on. They all strive to make consumers' lives very simple, very convenient, very secure, and so on and so forth. So the tomorrow's consumers are the consumers of fifth paradigm, hugely surrounded by a vast array of technologies like the ones that I have just said, which will change the kind of lifestyle they have. Just like today's consumers have got a completely different kind of lifestyle than they had 30 years back before the era of internet and social media and so on. And so that kind of a change is inevitable. The question is, how do you really, if you're a brand or if you're a company, how do you tackle that kind of a new dynamic and do what is right by the consumer and in the same process also do what's good for your business. It has to be a win-win for both. And one of the key topics I talk about, or chapters I talk about in the book is about ethics, it's about integrity, and it is about respecting consumers, just like you would want to be respected yourself as an individual. Um, Raja, uh, I'm not suggesting you're not telling the truth, but when marketers talk about ethics, I always reach for my pocket. 
because isn't marketing in some ways the business of lying? I'm not saying that you are a liar or your business is lying, but marketing is about sales. Um, the subtitle of your book, as I said, is Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. You have a, a quote from the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of General Mills. It says, this book will do for our view of marketing what Copernic Copernicus's book did for our view of the world. It will change it forever. Now, your book, uh, Raja, is an interesting book, but it's not equivalent to Copernicus. Why do marketers, and I'm not saying you yourself, but certainly the, 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 the arguments around this book, why do we need to exaggerate so dramatically? So he, here is the point. So firstly, I will not dare to compare myself with somebody like a Copernicus, right? I think that was truly, truly <laughs> game-changing in a big way. So I will never compare myself for that. And to be but, fair, this, these weren't your words, but you did, I assume, allow them to be put on the cover of your see, book. The, the key thing is like this, right? When one of your peers is actually saying that this book can change your perspective and view of marketing, that's something which I feel very gratified about because it's about thought leadership. The second thing is, in this particular book, what you will see is, you know, unfortunately, because of exactly the things that you have mentioned, which is it almost uh, people start feeling, many people start feeling that when you say marketing, it means it's some kind of a con game. And when you said, I'll reach out to my pocket and then try to protect my money and nobody should steal from me kind of a thing. That's a most unfortunate perception of what marketing is. It is not. That's not what marketing is about. And what I say is, in the future, in this uh, 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 what you call paradigm of uh, quantum marketing, I say first and foremost, brands and companies can succeed and thrive only when consumers and communities thrive, number one. Number two, marketing has to be, and companies have to be purpose-driven. Purpose is not pursuit of profits for yourself, but purpose that is generally very good for the society at large. That's number two, you need to have. And I'm saying third, cause marketing, which has been hitherto done in some kind of a sporadic manner, is something which has to be an integral part because when you do good, you can also do well. I buy this in a way, Raj. I've heard so many people make this argument, but in many ways, it's not convincing. We, we've had this narrative now for 25 years coming out of Silicon Valley. And all we've had are more and more dominant platforms. So um, what we've had actually over the last few months on the show are authors warning us about the consequences of uh, tech monopolies. We had Zephyr Teachout. Uh, we had Barry Lynn. We had David Diane. Um, we even had your friend and mine, Martin Sorrell, is a dear friend of mine, arguing that in 2020, uh, tech companies will take over the entire global economy, and Martin isn't thrilled about that. Where's the evidence, uh, Raja, that these new platforms, these tech companies are going to behave any better than they have in the past? Okay, there are two different things you have to distinguish, right? You are talking about tech companies, and I'm talking about marketing. Right. One is a series of companies that you are saying those should be monopolistic, etc. That's one different uh, uh, what you call uh, field altogether or topic altogether. I'm talking about the fact that new technologies. I'm not talking about technology companies. I'm talking about new technologies are here, and leveraging those technologies 
for the betterment of consumer and the society. That, there are two different things, right? Now, when you talk about the evidence where purpose-led companies, are they really making a difference? Or does cost marketing work in a way that you do social good and you also do well by the company? There is enough amount of data that has been accumulated to prove that. And I can tell you from my own first-hand experience. Now, normally, when you say MasterCard, people might think it's a credit card company. And credit card company means probably they are fleecing you with high interest rates. That's unfortunate perception because, number one, we, MasterCard, are not even a technology, are not even a credit card company. We don't issue a single credit card. Because our name appears on the plastic, people say, yeah, this is a credit card company. We are a technology company. We are a network. We enable banks and other financial institutions to use our network to be able to market. Uh, to be able to issue cards, right? Whether it can debit cards. Uh, and just to be clear to our viewers and listeners, Raja, your day job is as chief marketing officer of uh, of MasterCard. You're the author of Quantum Marketing, but your main job is still running the marketing at, at MasterCard. So that's why you're... So are you suggesting that MasterCard is an example of a new purpose-driven company? It is, of course, and I'm I'm showing some images of its front page on, on its website. Of, of wonderful waterfalls and and and, and coastal uh, scenes, are you suggesting that Mastercard is an example of this new purpose-driven company in 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 the in in what you call the fifth paradigm? I will give you specific reasons why. So the answer is a big yes, and I feel proud to be working for a company like this, which is not just making politically correct statements and making the right sound bites for annual reports but truly putting our money where the mouth is, which is, you know, do you know that we have been, for example, running programs with Stand Up to Cancer Foundation in many countries, mostly dominating in the United States, where we are raising fund, right, funds for cancer research. And that organization we have been partnering with called Stand Up to Cancer Foundation has so far discovered seven drugs for cancer cure, which have been FDA approved in a record time, number one. Or we actually use our marketing muscle and marketing programs to generate funds for the World Food Program, where we have fed more than 100 million meals to date. We have, for example, created recently as well, a fund for $250 million for small and medium establishments, SMEs as we call it. The list is long. In fact, you'd also know, uh, I would like to know that MasterCard has probably the world's largest, I, I think it is the world's largest, I'll stand corrected on this, but it, it'll be right there. Uh, in terms of being a corporate philanthropic organization. It has funds of more than $35 billion plus in MasterCard Foundation, which is run as a completely separate company based out of Canada. We don't use that for our marketing purposes. They run as an independent company with their own CEO, with their own board of directors and so on. And they are doing yeoman job in developing countries, mostly in Africa. Now, there are a lot of things which the company is doing of these kinds of things which are also actually benefiting the brand. We are building a positive brand and trying to change the perceptions that we are a credit card company while we are not. And also at the same time, but the but company what, is doing but what, what exactly is MasterCard? Uh, you mentioned th those acquisitions. Uh, you also spent uh, last year $825 million on the acquisition of uh, Finicity, which is one of the leading uh, fintech startups. I'm not suggesting that that was an um, an immoral acquisition, but it's a for-profit acquisition. So MasterCard isn't any different from any other company in terms of its focus on profit, is it? We are not a not-for-profit organization, to be sure. 
not every organization in the world needs to be a not-for-profit organization to be doing good deeds and to be helpful to the society. And we have got programs like where we have brought in half a billion people into the financial system. We call it the financial inclusion programs. So we are doing a ton of stuff on the one hand. So that doesn't mean suddenly that we have become the international Red Cross. We are not. We are a for-profit organization. On the other hand, you don't have to be a for-profit organization and be anti-social. We are not. We are very proud in terms of our support for the communities and what we are doing and what we are contributing. So again, back to my book, the entire premise is normally people think profit is bad or technologies are bad. I'm saying profit is something which can go hand in hand with societal good. So that's what we say. You can do well by doing good. Can you, and that's can what we, we're trying to practice. I, I buy this and it's, it's definitely a very interesting conversation, but should we be concerned with too much power landing in the hands of uh, traditional credit card companies like MasterCard or indeed Visa. Um, many of our viewers will be familiar with the DOJ's decision uh, late last year to force Visa t in its acquisition of, of played a 5.3 billion acquisition because it would give uh, Visa too much power in this new fintech economy. Uh, I don't think that companies like Visa are any worse or better than companies like Google or Facebook, and we're increasingly not trusting them. So presumably, we don't want too much power landing in the hands of companies like Visa or, or MasterCard, do we? See, here is the point. First and foremost, I think monopolies are never a good idea, right? When there is a healthy competition, that's when things will be outstanding, right? And that's the entire basis for uh, you know fair competition across the world. The beauty is that technology, and again, technology has different flavors. So firstly, I wanted again, correct back when you said that credit card company like MasterCard, we are not a credit card company. We are a technology platform for companies which may issue credit cards or debit cards or prepaid cards or whatever be the kind of payment cards that they do. So that's one thing I just want to clarify yet again. But the most important thing, Andrew, is that when you look at the way marketing is evolving, the whole field has become so beautifully democratized that a tiny startup from Silicon Valley can compete on equal footing with a giant, whether it is in financial services, or it could be in fast-moving packaged goods, or it could be in just services of any kind. I have to push back on you on this, Raja. You say beautifully democratized, but the reality of online marketing is that Facebook and Facebook and Google between them control something like 75 or 80% of the market. Doesn't seem to be anything particularly democratic about that. No, see, this is where, again, I guess there is unfortunately a muddling of everything being lumped into technology. My point is there are technology platforms, there are social media platforms that you are referring to. They're tech companies, but their job is about social media platforms or that's their business. What I'm talking about is when there is various technologies, not technology platforms, but there are various technologies that are coming up, whether it is artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, these kind of platforms democratize the, the playing field quite significantly for a small 
packaged goods company or a large package, packaged goods company, small financial services company, large financial services company. I'm talking about those technologies. Now you're pulling me back to the technology, uh, the social media platforms like Facebook and et cetera. So that's a different uh, chapter altogether in itself. My point is when data analytics, for example, in the, in the, in the previous paradigm, data analytics used to be the, the domain of very large companies. You have a need to invest in massive infrastructure and you had only data yourself and et cetera. But today, data analytics has been so democratized because of the advancement of technology and automation and algorithms and so on, that even a tiny company can effectively leverage the power of that technology of data analytics and of our artificial intelligence and compete against a giant company. Okay, so, I, I buy this. So let, let, let's, let, let's talk a bit more specifically about some of the new technologies that you write about in the book. We had, uh, I'm sure you know, Don Tapscott, one of the world's leading um, uh, pioneers and, and, and visionaries on, 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 on blockchain technology. You would do a very good job in your book distinguishing between blockchain as a technology and Bitcoin as a, as a new digital currency. Um, Raja, how will blockchain very specifically play a role in what you call the fifth paradigm in this quantum marketing revolution? What will blockchain do to change everything? I think blockchains are going to play an immense role, right? If you look at the money that is being exchanged, the data that is being exchanged between various parties in the marketing and advertising ecosystem, it is pretty significant and huge. And today, there are so many intermediaries in each one of these marketing value chains or in the advertising value chain that if I, as a marketer today, am spending $100, to put my advertisement on some digital platform, some digital media. Say for example, Forbes.com or New York Times.com. The publisher whose uh, platform attracts consumers hardly gets 40 to 60% of the money that I'm spending. A whole lot of, it, lot of it goes to intermediaries. Secondly, there is also not the requisite level of transparency in this entire ecosystem. And that's a problem. So one is the transparency and the lack of transparency rather. And the second one is how much of inefficiency is there, which necessitates all these middlemen to be there and we, who each one of them is taking a cut. Blockchains is going to change it. In fact, companies like IBM and Unilever and Media Ocean, they have actually done and demonstrated some pilots, which are showing that you can really scale blockchain solutions and really be able to establish uh, the direct linkages or contracts between the advertiser and the media owner. And therefore, you are able to really take out those inefficiencies and bring about transparency in one level. The second thing is the authenticity of products is very critical. In the world where there are fake products that are being created, imitations uh, or knockaways knock, knock or knockouts, the key thing is blockchain will help you through one of its areas called provenance you can determine is this original or is it not? That is a humongous value addition and it's a trust factor for the consumers, which is very invaluable on the one hand. Likewise, if I'm somebody, for example, who is into uh, organic farming and I want to make sure uh, that I'm into organic products and I want to make sure that the produce I'm buying is essentially uh, locally produced and it's something which is totally organic, 
provenance, which is basically determining the origin and the tra trace the entire journey of those items all the way from the farm to the uh, shelf in the retail outlet, that can be very well established. So these are the kind of things which blockchain is going to bring. And this is just the beginning. And there are so many possibilities that this entire technology and the way of thinking enables it's going to be very important in the fifth paradigm. Absolutely. It's going to be a significant part of quantum marketing. You also write, um, Raja, about the role of AI. We've had a number of shows about AI. We had Brian Christian on the show um, a couple of months ago talking about what he calls the alignment problem of AI, of lining up human and machine intelligence and integrating them properly. What's the role of AI? Is this the glue in your fifth paradigm, um, democratizing marketing? empowering the small company and every consumer? It's a huge enabler, no questions about it. It brings in a serious level of uh, depth of understanding. For example, all of marketing begins with understanding insights. Now the, way, the ability of AI to analyze data that is disparate, yet completely protecting the privacy of the consumers, which is the data is all anonymized, you can get to very powerful insights that will help you fine tune your products for the consumer's needs. It also will help you to do it at the right price. It will help you to target appropriately with the right kind of messaging and so on. So that's one part of it. The other part of it where AI will dramatically change things is today already many companies are creating digital banner ads, for example. Now, in the past, you have to rely on agencies and it'll, there's a lead time and then they will do uh, you know, the ads and then you'll see them and then approve them and uh, do it. AI makes the whole thing happen in a matter of few nanoseconds. And it does as good a job that you can validate through actual A-B testing and various quantitative methods to prove the efficacy and efficiency of those ads. And they are. Now, this is right now, the level of evolution is only to the extent of banner ads. But where AI is today creating amazing quality of uh, you know, either videos or even there is a, a record label which has tied up with, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, or the AI engine has tied up with the record label, a contract for producing 20 albums completely created by AI. Now, when you have these kind of capabilities, I think a lot of stuff that today is being done either taking long time or investing a lot of money can be done very effectively and efficiently and cheaply. Cheaply as in not quality, but cheap in terms of economics, very inexpensively by artificial intelligence. I think it's going to be uh, one of the biggest enablers of quantum marketing, yes. Well, there you have it. The fifth paradigm, um, quantum marketing. It's going to change everything. We've heard that one before. Uh, perhaps this time it'll be true. Raja Rajamanaz, quantum marketing is is a really interesting, provocative new book, especially for marketers and people interested in using marketing to make the world a better place. Raja, you're in Cincinnati at the moment on the 1st of February. Right. And uh, I have to admit, I'd rather be in California where I am. I hope it's not <laughs> snowing too hard there. What else should people be reading in addition to your interesting new book? You know, one of my favorite books, and I have it right here on my table, this is... Uh, called The Happiness Advantage by uh, Sean Ecor. I love this book. And it, it puts things in perspective in a very different way. One of the best books I have read, and likewise, I would say Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, another one of my favorite books I would strongly recommend. And of course, this is my book, which is coming just now. And uh, 
it's being released on the 9th of February. So uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. It's a multi-country launch on that day. And uh, so looking forward to it. And hopefully some well, of your I listeners slash viewers will uh, yeah, take a look I at it. I need to read that happiness book to cheer myself up, make myself a little bit more optimistic about the future. Raja Raja Manar, the author of Quantum Marketing and the Chief Marketing Officer at MasterCard, a man who still believes in the future, perhaps one of the few people left. We need guys like you, Raja. And I'm going to have you back on the show in the next few years to check up on whether quantum marketing really is changing the world. Thank you so much. A happy and healthy new year. Thank you so much. I'll take you up on that. And we'll prove that the assumptions and the hypothesis are correct. And But Andrew, on a serious note, thank you so very much for having me on your show. And uh, please do, uh, do stay safe, be well, and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.